Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. In today's episode, we're going to talk about something we don't usually talk about in most parts of the world, menopause and how it can affect a woman's mental health. Frankly, because menopause is one of those things we don't talk about, many women have no idea why they're feeling the way they do when menopause occurs. That stress or depression you're feeling at work? It could be a typical symptom of menopause. Stay tuned as we shine a much-needed spotlight on menopause and how it can affect your mental health. Hi everyone, welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. I'm Bob Peacock. Today's episode is a special one for everyone, but especially for the women in our audience. We're going to talk about a natural biological process that happens to nearly all women called menopause, and the sometimes even more intense process that happens in many women before menopause called perimenopause. And even though we're producing this episode especially for our women listeners, it's just as important for men to hear, so we can be more informed and find out how we can support women going through these often difficult times. To make sure we get answers to the kinds of questions that are on a woman's mind, I've invited a couple of women, actual HPE team members, Holly Greer and Kim Field, to guest host today's episode. And just so you can identify each person's voice, I'd like to ask Holly and Kim to introduce themselves. Holly, you want to go first? Sure. Thanks, Bob. I'm Holly Greer. I'm the Global Wellness Program Manager at HPE. So I help design and implement the wellness program for all HPE team members. Although I'm not quite at the age of experiencing menopause or perimenopause symptoms, I can speak on behalf of those who want to be prepared and know what to expect. So I've got a lot of questions for our expert today. Welcome, welcome. Okay, Kim, how about you? Hi, I'm Kim Field. So I'm the UKI MISA GOHR leader. Um, And most people will know that as the UK island all of the Middle East and South Africa. So a very eclectic bunch of of countries I look after. Um, I'm hugely passionate about this this topic. In the UK and in Ireland especially, there is a lot of discussion. It's it's moved from being, menopause has moved from being a a taboo subject to a subject that many people are starting to talk about and really starting to learn and educate themselves about. And I'm one of those people. So as the HR leader in the GEO, I've had a few experiences of uh, female team members talking to me about about menopause, but also on the other side, some people leaders talking to me about how they can better learn and educate themselves to better support their team members going through menopause. And it it really did give me a bit of an aha moment to think I need to I need to educate myself and learn and understand a lot more about this process. I'm not quite there yet. in terms of reaching that stage in my life, but um, it became very clear to me I knew nothing about it. I know a lot more now, but I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to this session with Catherine today to to learn a lot more. Terrific. So with that, I'm going to turn over the microphone to you, ladies. I'll be back at the end to wrap things up. Holly, you want to get things started by introducing today's guest? Yes, of course. It'd be my pleasure to introduce Catherine O'Keefe, who is also known around the world as the Wellness Warrior and is Ireland's first menopause coach. Through her own experiences dealing with menopause, Catherine discovered a general lack of education and support for women going through menopause. So she took action. 
She created the website www.wellnesswarrior.ie and she continues to help thousands of women through the website, through one-on-one sessions, and through her hundreds of speaking engagements. Catherine, welcome and thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thanks, Holly. It's lovely to be with you talking about my favorite subject. (laughs) That's great. So how about we just start back at the basics? Can you provide us with a good understanding of what menopause is, when it typically occurs, and what's happening that causes us to experience those symptoms that we're going through? Yeah, I guess first off, we, we if we set the scene, we can introduce some of the key players that uh, create the the roller coaster of symptoms that we see through the menopause years, and that's the hormones, progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone. And what starts to happen in the perimenopause years, which are those early years before menopause, they start to change. They start to um, fluctuate wildly in terms of their levels. And generally, we see for the most part, it's progesterone that starts to decline in the early years. And and that's where we often see, particularly in work, uh, the psychological aspects of menopause start to rear. You know, you start to see the brain fog comes in, maybe a little bit of anxiety. You maybe don't feel as confident in your role, in your everyday role that maybe you've been doing for years. All of a sudden, you start to feel a little bit wobbly. And that tends to be those early perimenopause years. And I guess I always kind of say, it's all about perimenopause because really that's where we start to see the land starts to shake. Everything starts to just feel that little bit out of kilter, off balance. And you'll often hear women will say, you know, I just don't feel myself. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I'm just not sure, but I just don't feel myself, my old self. And that generally is a good indicator of, ah. Oh, hang on, I think you're starting perimenopause because menopause itself is actually only the anniversary of 12 months without a period, without a monthly cycle. So really the perimenopause years are really where it all starts to happen. And for many, like the average age of perimenopause is 45 and that can vary um you know based on which which country you're living in etc it can for some women it can actually start at maybe 47 for others it can start earlier so you know i always kind of say be mindful of the average because what's average for me may be different for somebody else but generally if we do look at it you know, it's, it is the mid 40s. But for many, those early symptoms, particularly in relation to your mental and emotional health, can start to happen kind of around 43, 44. Um, myself, I started perimenopause when I was 44. And it was it was that it was the anxiety. It was I just started at work um, I was working in investment banking and I just sometimes I'd forget details that normally would roll off my tongue. And that impacts your confidence and your self-esteem. And what I found then when I started to talk to other women, it was like it was like a bit of the puzzle was was missing. It's kind of like joining the dots because a lot of women weren't familiar with perimenopause and it was they were just thinking about menopause and menopause being all about the end of your cycles but really there's so much more to it and if we look at it there's in excess of 36 symptoms of menopause so 
all of those symptoms don't just come in the last 12 months before your final cycle. They start to, you know, for some women, it's more gentle. And for other women, it can be a little bit more severe, but they start to show themselves, you know, as you start the perimenopause years. So Catherine, when you think of of menopause, perimenopause, you think of hot flashes, (laughs) brain fog. But I've been I've been learning so much recently about it. There's just reams and reams of, of symptoms potentially. So so what are some of the other symptoms that, that women may experience? Yeah, like, I mean, Kim, that's it's such a good one, because that's what everyone thinks of. The, the hot flushes, the night sweats. And I always kind of say menopause is like the iceberg analogy. There's some of the symptoms you can see above the surface. So like the hot flush, like the night sweats, you can even argue you you might see a work colleague and they're suffering aches and pains but there's so much more that happens beneath the surface that you may not be privy to or you know unless um, a colleague is talking to you about it but Mm. the psychological aspects the symptoms of menopause are really really important and Mm. that's an area that you know I just feel we need continuous awareness in relation to it because that starts with insomnia you just your sleep starts to change and that has an impact then on your brain fog. So memory loss, um, cognitive issues. It might be, you know, you go to the press and you don't remember what you went there for or you're just introduced to someone and two seconds later you can't remember their name. And often those like symptoms, you know, many women would say, God, I think I've got early dementia. And that's what it can feel like. And that can be incredibly scary. So, you know, the psychological aspects, also you have that the low mood that you can feel and and even depression. And, you know, and that the mood changes, I find, um, can be really scary because you can go from it's a bit like Jekyll and Hyde. And I was talking to a a woman the other day and she was like, I was saying, you know, it's a bit like you go from zero to a thousand in nanoseconds, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was just like saying it's it's unexpressible how the rage can take over and it happens so quickly and then on the on the flip side or the other side of that unfortunately is when that rage happens if depending you know on how you react to it women are very good at making themselves feel guilty so you can have the experience (laughs) of that intense emotion and then you can follow it up by extreme guilt so the psychological is is huge part of um, the whole menopause transition, it, and it's it's so important for me that we really understand that because if we take, for example, let's just say you don't have a good night's sleep, and let's just say it's because of stress or it's because of night sweats, then the next morning you come into work and you're going to have um, brain fog, you're going to be groggy, your concentration will be impacted, and you may make a mistake. Or you may falter over your words or something. And that has a huge impact on confidence and self-esteem. And then anxiety increases and it just becomes a vicious circle. So so in terms of um, when you talk about the range of symptoms, kind of almost from a a mental health perspective, it's it's quite concerning if you think about the lack of, um, often the lack of kind of training that our doctors go through I've, I've heard just recently a lot of um uh, kind of a, a, quite a few stories where some of our some some women have just immediately put on antidepressants rather than actually really getting to the kind of root cause of often these things can be linked to menopause so 
it's just difficult I think sometimes to be able to mm. tell the difference between do you have a a mental health issue or do you have actually are you suffering anxiety or mood swings as a direct link to menopause is, is there any kind of thoughts or advice you'd give in, in relation to that yeah and I, I think look unfortunately the world over I, you know I think in most countries we have um, a checkered history in relation to an over prescription of, um, of antidepressants and I think what's really important is that you go into that uh, doctor's appointment where you are informed and you know that okay, you may be feeling some of the psychological symptoms we mentioned, but you also may be experiencing some of the physical symptoms. So you could have aches and pains, you could have headaches, you could have your your um, a lot of dryness in your skin, you could have bladder issues, you could have breast tenderness. And, you know, what you really want is you want to differentiate between true de- clinical depression versus the mood changes that come with menopause and a really helpful way to do that is when you go for that doctor's appointment is have a symptom checker with you but you can you can print out a symptom checker you can go through it and you can take okay I've hot flushes I um, have lost a libido I've got sleep issues I've got gastric issues you can go down through the common symptoms of menopause and when you hand that to your doctor really then that opens up a conversation is this clinical depression or is this the hormonal havoc that may come with menopause and I think that's very powerful because it allows you not to get um you don't get tunneled down into it being your moods and it's really really important that we differentiate between how you're feeling you know whether it is menopause or not Mm. because antidepressants have a role to play and they can sometimes they can sometimes be very beneficial for particularly the vasomotor symptoms of menopause so like the hot flushes and the night sweats but really when it comes to supporting a woman through menopause we know that the first route from a medical um, point of view is looking at and investigating hormone therapy okay interesting so with all these symptoms that we're talking about and definitely making the list are you expected to experience all of them? And if you do have them, how long are they usually going to last? I mean, is this for 20 years or am I thinking one? (laughs) Yeah, the good news, the good news, Holly, is is that um, I always say, think about the symptoms like a passing cloud. Uh, you're not, look, you're not going to get them all at the same time. There there are, as I said, there's over 36 symptoms and we can, you can even break those down further in relation to um, the genital urinary symptoms of menopause. Um, but really, you're not going to get them all at the same time. And the chances are you may not even ever get a hot flush. I started perimenopause when I was 44 I'm 51 and I to this day I haven't had a hot flush now I have had other symptoms but it's so it's if you look at it we know that roughly 25% of women will go through menopause and they will go through it and they won't actually realize they've gone through it because the symptoms are so mild that they don't even notice them now conversely on the other side we know that 
25% of women will suffer really severely um, and will need good support through those years. And then the balance will generally fall into, you know, they will know they're going through menopause. So you could be one of the one of the lucky ones that they're so mild, you just, you know, sail through those years. But I think the important thing to, to always remember is, is that the symptoms come and go and very much the symptoms of the early years of perimenopause would be very different for the most part, would be very different to the symptoms you'll experience as you come closer to menopause. Generally for many women, the symptoms that tend to become more heightened as you come closer to menopause, like that kind of peak period, is really the vasomotor symptoms. So the hot flushes, the night sweats, the vaginal dryness, the brain fog, that tends, they tend to become more, more problematic. Whereas in the early perimenopause years, you tend to find the psychological side of it tends to be the part that women will struggle with a lot more. And, and also what happens in those early years is that, you know, you're kind of stumbling in the dark for a little while because you're kind of, a lot of women will be like, God, what's going on with me? What's wrong with me? Before they actually maybe go and have a conversation with a doctor or before they maybe even talk to a friend or a work colleague about it, and all of this becomes internalized. And that can be incredibly lonely. So that's why I always kind of say, look, it's so important to have support, you know, whether that's, you know, talking to your partner, talking to your family, can be utilizing your employee assistance program, but just have support because it makes this a very different experience when you have your tribe as you go through these years. And when we talk about years, it isn't one year. <laughs> Generally, you are talking of anywhere from four to 12 years. Oh, no. But remember, <laughs> there's different types of menopause too. So if you are going through an early form of menopause, say, you know, which generally tends to be as a result of um, surgery, unfortunately, due to cancer or severe endometriosis, or it might be medical treatment um, due to, to cancer, that can trigger what we call cliff edge menopause. And that can mean that you can come out of your surgery and the next day you're in menopause. So in essence, you actually bypass perimenopause and you're catapulted into menopause. I, I, I always say, and I know some people kind of look at me strangely, but I do always say that natural menopause is a privilege because the earlier forms of menopause come with much more challenges that um, a person has to deal with on top of the menopause symptoms that they may be already experiencing as well. Well, that must be so tough for, for women going through that. Mm. Uh, are, are genetics mm. any kind of pre uh, a predictor for who might get more severe menopause symptoms? So if, if my mum had severe symptoms, would I, would I get them too? I, I think when we look at genetics, we, we know, depend, if we look at the age your mum went into menopause, and particularly if we look at, there's a very early form of menopause called premature ovarian insufficiency. And unfortunately, this can happen at a very young age. The youngest woman I have met started hot flushes when she was nine. So she was in primary school when she started hot flushes. So you can imagine that's an extremely 
challenging form of menopause and comes with different long-term health implications. But if your mom had experienced a form of menopause like that, there is a high chance that you will also um, fo follow how she's experienced it and you should be tested for premature ovarian insufficiency. But if we look at it in terms of your your mum's experience of it certainly I think we can see there are links there the only difference Kim that I feel is that we're in different in different environments today our stresses our challenges are different to what our parents may have experienced and I think yeah that makes for a different experience of menopause. And certainly, you know, a lot of women I would have worked with will have started, you know, their mum might have started at, you know, 43, 47, and they'll start around the same time. But their symptoms can be very different. And I think a lot of that is down to we're living in different in a different world to compare to, to, to our mums. Yeah. Well, speaking of different environments or behavioral changes, is there anything a woman can do to reduce some of those severities of those symptoms in menopause or even perimenopause before they get to that yeah, age? I, I think for me, I'm all about being proactive. So, you know, I love when I get to speak to younger women who haven't yet started perimenopause because it's like I actually get excited <laughs> because it's literally like, oh my God, this is fantastic because we can really arm you with the tools so that actually if you start being proactive about your perimenopause years, you actually can really have a good experience through through these years. And I think that's where it's really important from your early 40s to, you know, to be aware of, to educate yourself and be aware of what perimenopause is. What should I start to look out for? What are the red flags, you know, particularly around, you know, I want to be mindful of my, my mental health. How am I feeling? And knowing what those red flags are and don't, you know, not adopting the ostrich approach of putting your head in the sand, but as soon as you start seeing any change that you straight away, you're proactive, that, you know, you start to look at, you know, is there anything in your everyday lifestyle that you maybe need to tweak? You know, maybe do you need to do a bit more exercise? Do you need to do more um, stress management techniques? Are you eating properly? Um, are you sleeping properly? Uh, to me, sleep is the bedrock of thriving through menopause because it all starts with sleep. If you can get sleep right, you can. It has a domino impact. It literally knocks on to the to a lot of the symptoms. But it's really having the knowledge that you know what's ahead, so that you can take preemptive action action and then a really important point or part of these years is change how you view menopause so I I guess I'm looking now at menopause as it offers me an opportunity to future proof my body for the future so I'm thinking now you know chances are we're going to be living till we're 80, 90, 100. We're all living longer. So yes, I want to get a handle on my symptoms um, and live my best life. But I also want to use these years to make sure I'm setting myself up for really good health in the future. So I've good bone health, I've good heart health, I've good cognitive function. 
And I think that's a really important part now of the menopause conversation, that it's symptom management, but it's also future-proofing ourselves for the future. And if you start to just even think about it that way, your mindset changes and you'll adopt, you know, I kind of say it's adopting that that positive menopause mindset where we look at it um, as an empowering chapter in our life because we know for so many women that once you do get a handle on your symptoms and you figure out what treatment options work best for you, that then you really are, you know, it is a part in your life where you the, the world is a new, um, a new oyster, I guess. It's just kind of you're open to new opportunity. I just think if you can go into perimenopause, you know, knowing what perimenopause looks like and then knowing how you can support yourself, it becomes a very, very different trajectory, a very different experience. Yeah, I, I, to- I totally, um, totally agree with that. And I, I love that kind of mindset shift to move from a, a worried outlook or an anxiety kind of perspective to a really positive outlook on and kind of taking control of your of your menopause experience. So let, let's talk about the challenges that, that menopause can bring uh, women who are who are working, which is I know how you got started, Catherine. So would you mind sharing your own experiences and how you got started as a menopause coach? Yeah, um, so I I got a lot of I got a lot of signals to tell me I was in menopause, but I actually ignored a lot of them too. <laughs> so I guess my one one thing that happened to me was I was in I was away with some friends uh, from college. We went to Copenhagen for a weekend to the Christmas markets. And um, it was November. It was freezing. We went to a restaurant on our first night for dinner. And as we were having dinner, I just I just didn't feel right. And I just started to feel complete unease in my pelvic area. And moments later, I could just feel a warmth of liquid um, hit my legs and I sat in that restaurant and I can tell you I was absolutely frozen I was stuck to the chair oh, no. and I completely I just it was like I was a rabbit in headlights moment and it was literally I was afraid to look under the the, the, the table <laughs> and what happens is you know the the hormonal havoc that happens in perimenopause it causes these symptoms and one common symptom that can impact many women in the perimenopause years is heavy periods so that's what happened mm. to me I had a flooding episode where my period came on really really quickly um, and I drenched myself I drenched the seat I sat on and I left that restaurant with a jacket around my waist in the freezing November in Copenhagen <laughs> you know oh my goodness. so is and this is you know when I shared that story um years ago so many women reached out to me and they're like that happened to me at work oh my god I was sitting in a meeting and I remember I went back to work and I for months I always had a change of clothes in my in in my desk. I always mm. wore black. I did it was a it was a good few years before I wore white trousers again, I can tell you that much. Um but it's just <laughs> in in work the challenges can be different because I then went on to experience brain fog. 
And I, I was used to, I used to do a lot of presentations for senior management, etc. And I was well used to, never an issue at all. But then I started to forget my, I'd lose my train of thought. I'd forget essential details that normally would just roll off my tongue. So the brain fog, uh, I think of all the, 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 the hitters that hit me most, and I know it's one of the, one of the, most challenging symptoms for women in work is the brain fog because it impacts mm. your memory, it impacts your concentration, and it has a knock-on impact on your self-esteem, your anxiety, and your confidence. So when we look at the, the workplace, you know, the, the, you know, which of the symptoms impact they all will impact to a certain extent, some more than others. And I did a survey last year um, in relation to menopause in the workplace and the top five symptoms that women reported as impacting. Number one was brain fog. Um, number two was anxiety. Number three was loss of confidence. Four was sleep issues. And number five was aches and pains. I think number six came the hot flushes. So you can see the psychological part of it are the ones that for the majority of women will cause more most issues in the workplace but you know you can equally say bladder issues which are very very common in menopause you know where you've changes in relation to your urinary habits they can be extremely challenging in work when you look at all of the symptoms they can all tie back in relation to the impact that they have and I think one of the most important things is you know being understanding the symptoms and how it impacts you and also looking at your triggers because when we look at you know the hot flush is a good example to take you've some very typical triggers there you know it can be caffeine it can be alcohol that can make them worse it's the same with brain fog we know that um you know your lack of sleep if you're dehydrated impacts if we're even two percent dehydrated it will impact your memory and your cognitive function so it's really important to kind of if you look at all of the symptoms in one go it can be really overwhelming so i always encourage women to just take it piecemeal and you know if you're looking at it on a weekly basis just take one take one symptom each week and start to break it down start to understand is there is there a trend here you know does it happen at a certain time each month you know does it happen after i eat spicy food does it happen if i don't drink enough water just so you can start to understand your body more and what your body is trying to tell you and in a lot of cases or a lot of them um, situations you can make small changes that will have a huge impact in terms of the symptoms so that's really helpful i think just creating the awareness and kind of getting getting team members to start asking themselves the questions to just create that awareness is going to be so helpful i, I know we we've kind of touched on on mental health earlier in our, our conversation so what are the some of the typical kind of misunderstandings women have one thing that happens is they it's it's like you have a jigsaw puzzle and you miss the piece because they start you may start to feel you know, just low in yourself. You might just feel one one part that can happen and can be very common is where you feel maybe 
social anxiety comes in where you just feel maybe you don't want to go for coffee. Maybe you don't want to go out at night with your friends. Maybe you just want to curl up on the couch. And sometimes, you know, that is fine. And I think sometimes we all need a little bit of nurturing and a little bit of downtime. But just be aware of that because there can be the um, the attraction of becoming a little bit introverted, particularly, I, I think, in the early perimenopause years. And I just think it's important to be aware of that and to make an effort to keep connected with people, you know, to to keep going for social engagements and, you know, the coffees, lunches, dinner, whatever it is, because when you start to see that you're declining things and you're just kind of you're just not interested or you're just losing that oomph. That's where you really want to start looking at what's going on here. And one of the 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 the, the first places to start, I always say, is start with a blood test with your GP, your doctor. And that's not to look at the blood test. Your blood test isn't going to tell you, Catherine, you're in year two of perimenopause. But what the blood test will tell you, it will tell you that your thyroid is working well and the thyroid is really really important because if the thyroid goes out of balance the symptoms can look very similar to many of the symptoms we've already mentioned so it's always good due diligence just to make sure okay just let's cross off the thyroid's functioning well then i also like to look at iron levels because if you're low in iron, if you're anemic, that can also trigger panic attacks, palpitations, anxiety, etc. So again, you want to make sure the iron is good. So it's getting into the habit on a yearly basis of getting your bloods done. And that will make sure that you're staying empowered and on top of your health. And then then you know that, OK, if you do feel a bit off kilter, OK, well, my bloods are good. It's not my thyroid. It's not I'm not anemic, etc. There isn't anything else there. So then it's maybe looking at, OK, well, am I ticking other boxes that would indicate I'm heading into perimenopause territory or, you know, has a major life event happened? Has something happened that maybe um, has triggered how I'm feeling? It's a very it's very important in these years to be raw and honest with yourself in terms of what you're feeling. I have, um, when I started perimenopause, I started a notebook several years ago, kind of tracking my symptoms and what I was feeling. And I used to revisit it every month. And I do the same thing now. And it's a great habit to get into because I can see the changes. In my early perimenopause years, anxiety was the symptom I experienced um, and now I am six years in heading in seven probably and that wouldn't be one of my symptoms so different things will come and go but it's just really important to kind of to watch them and particularly around the mental health side of it because you if you don't acknowledge what you're feeling, then it can just get on top of you more. And as I mentioned earlier, you can just feel more isolated. And the loneliness that can come with menopause, until you experience it or you're aware of it, it is a, it is a real isolation that many women will talk about. And but they will also say once they start sharing with their friends or family or, you know, support network, their tribe, 
then all of a sudden it's like uh, the baggage is lifted off them and they literally just feel, oh my God, this is so much great, better. I have someone to talk about. And the relief that comes with that, I mean, you can't, you can't put dollars on that because it's so valuable. So, you know, I think the key part of it is, is just watching out for the subtle, subtle changes as they come in. And I'd really urge you to, to concentrate on subtle because the perimenopause years, the early perimenopause years are so subtle. As the progesterone starts to decline, it subtly kicks out the symptoms. And then as we um, go in more, you'll see the fluctuations that start to happen with estrogen. And, you know, estrogen is like the queen of the hormones. It impacts so many processes throughout the body. So as that starts to go out of kilter, well, your, your body is going to know it. It's going to tell you. And that's where the symptoms come into play. And then with testosterone, you'll find that for many women, particularly who kind of feel that you know, libido is, is a big issue or where it can also be tiredness and exhaustion. They just can't, anything they're doing can't improve on that. That's definitely where testosterone is kind of, is one to look at. But it's, the, always remember, it's the hormonal changes that are happening that are causing these symptoms. You know, many women will kind of say, gosh, you know, what have I done wrong? Where, where have I gotten this wrong? You haven't. This is simply your body is adjusting to the changing hormones that happen over these years. Mm. So, so if you got your blood tests done, w would it pick up whether you're low in testosterone or estrogen or, or do they do they not test for those things? No, not routinely. They won't test. The, the main marker you look at kind of as you hit menopause itself, I, I kind of look at the whole journey as, you know, perimenopause, you're climbing the hill, you're getting up to the top of the mountain. Menopause, you're kind of, you're at the top of the mountain, you're still experiencing symptoms. And then post-menopause is the rest of your life. What can happen as you get closer to the top of the mountain your FSH level, your follicle stimulating hormone will get higher. And that indicates that you're nearing menopause. And that's the key one to look at. But when you're in the perimenopause years, when you get your bloods done, they fluctuate wildly. So you could get your bloods done on a Monday and the reading could be completely different on a Friday. You know, they will change depending right. on your cycle. So really... The benefit of the bloods is ruling out the thyroid and iron, etc. And then just knowing that your your underlying health is good. Yeah, okay, interesting. We did talk a little bit about reducing the severity of your symptoms before, but let's say you already have perimenopause or menopause. What are some things you can do to manage those symptoms? And um, what are other things that women have found to be helpful? So I, when it comes to it, I think you start off with sleep and you get your sleep right. Once you get your sleep right, then it's really important to make sure you have a good exercise regime in place. And when it comes to exercise, you know, it's brilliant of any form of exercise. But we know in these years and also with a view to future proofing, we know how important it is to have weight bearing exercises. So I always kind of say, look, if you can exercise, you know, five times a week, you know, be that walking, running, hiking, swimming, whatever. But if you can make sure that two 
of those sessions are weight bearing, you know, where it could be yoga, Pilates, lifting weights, um, resistance training, etc. That's of huge benefit because that way you're nourishing and feeding your bones, but you're also nourishing your mental and emotional health, which is really important. Food is a huge part of it. And, you know, I always kind of talk about the nutrient robbers. You know, what, what are those foods that really aren't adding nutritional benefit to us in these years? So, you know, be very conscious of your caffeine intake you know, monitor your consumption of alcohol it is, isn't your friend in menopause, unfortunately. Um, everything in moderation. It, it is worth looking at your sugar intake. Yes, we do need sugar for energy, but you can get good sugar through your natural foods. So, you know, reducing processed sugar or, you know, just again, in moderation. So it's really just kind of being mindful of what supports you and what doesn't support you in these years. Sometimes when, you know, women will kind of say to me, God, you know, Catherine, the exhaustion I'm feeling of menopause, and I'll always kind of look at sleep and I'll also look at um, their intake of, of fiber because if you're not having regular bowel movements and if you're experiencing constipation, it will impact on many of the symptoms of menopause. And then the other thing, which is, you know, really important is stress management because we know that uh, when we talked earlier about the, the three key hormones, uh, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, we know that cortisol is also unfortunately a big part of many people's lives. And cortisol is fantastic when we're being chased by a lion or a tiger, but it's not so good when our body is producing it on an ongoing basis for a threat that isn't actually there. It's really important to kind of look at the stressors in your life and then look at, well, how can I how can I support myself through these stressors? How can I reduce them? You know, maybe it's um, meditation, maybe it's mindfulness, you know, good food will support you, exercise will support you. Maybe it's simply having downtime. So Catherine, Let's talk about um, hormone replacement therapy or, or HRT. What is it and, and is it safe? Because there's a lot of mixed messages yeah. out there um, and there's been a lot of kind of press ar around this. So it would be great to get your, your view on this. Yeah. So, so um, HT um, for kind of the US North America hormone therapy, um, European wise, we refer to it more as HRT, hormone replacement therapy. It's just wording. Um, so when, when we look at that, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it, it can be very, very confusing. Simply if you look at it, if we come back to the three key hormones we talked about, when we look at um, HRT, we're looking at how the body is reacting to the changes that are happening. But you also, and how you can support the body through those symptoms. Now, you've also got to take into account, there's going to be different regimes of HRT based on your personal medical history. So for example, if a woman has had a hysterectomy, then generally she will only need to use estrogen unless there is, um, you know, it's, 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 it doesn't happen often, but if there was a history of severe endometriosis, maybe that she may also have 
to take progesterone. But generally, it tends to be for a woman who's had a hysterectomy, they need to have estrogen. For a woman who hasn't had a hysterectomy, then they must always have progesterone and estrogen as part of the hormone replacement therapy. And the reason for that is the progesterone protects the endometrial lining from a buildup, which is called endometrial hyperplasia, which may lead to endometrial cancer. So that's why the progesterone part is very important where there is a uterus. Now, the vast majority of women will do very well on that initial combination. And I always I always say HRT takes patience. You've got to be patient because, you know, it's not every woman who will start a regime and will hit the ground running. You may need to tweak it. You might decide on the form you're using doesn't suit you. And I'll talk through those in a minute. But it takes tailoring to get it right. So I generally say, you know, when you started, have in your mind that it can take three to six months before everything settles down. And then if after six months, let's say you're still experiencing extreme tiredness, maybe libido still hasn't improved, that's when you might have the conversation with your doctor in relation to introducing testosterone. But Many women do very well on um, the basic regime once they get once they get it right. Then what you get into is it's really important to understand the form of HRT that you're using. We know under the British Menopause Society and um, the International Menopause Society, the guidance is, is that transdermal HRT is the way to start. And transdermal basically means it's being absorbed through the skin. So that can be in the form of a gel. It can be a patch, a spray. It really depends on what a person would like to use. But in relation to what form you're using, that's where you need to sit down with your doctor. You'll talk about your personal medical history because they'll have to look at, you know, is there a history of stroke, etc., so that they can then advise you in relation to, well, this is the form to look at. But for the vast majority of women now, they will start on um, transdermal, uh, transdermal options. And when we look at those, the majority of those will also be classified as what we call um, body identical um, forms of HRT. And the good thing about the transdermals is because they're being absorbed through the skin, they bypass the liver. And that's quite important because if you take an oral tablet, even an aspirin or a paracetamol, that has to be broken down and synthesized by the liver. And that's the big difference when you look at the risks of HRT. So it's really important to understand first, you know, well, which ones do you need to look at? Then it's looking at the regime that may support you. And, 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 you know, your individual personal medical history is really important. And that's having that discussion with your doctor in relation to the risks and benefits of any form. And one of the biggest risks that we hear about or that women are concerned about is in relation to breast cancer. Yeah. And unfortunately, this is the one where there has been a, a lot of unclear um, I guess, media sensationalization, etc., around it. But if you look at it simply, if you take a thousand women, unfortunately, 23 will develop breast cancer. Now, if I add in combined HRT, you increase that number by four. 
If I add in the contraceptive pill, I increase the number by four. But if I add in drinking alcohol over the recommended daily allowance, I increase the number by five. And perhaps the most startling statistic is if your BMI, your body mass index, is over the recommendation, that figure is actually increased by 24. Oh, wow. And on the positive side, if I introduce two and a half hours of moderate exercise on a weekly basis, I can reduce my risk of breast cancer by seven. So it's really important to understand the facts. And if we look at it the world over, one woman dies every minute due to cardiovascular disease in the world. We know that more women die from heart disease than they do from cancer. So I just think it's really important to make informed decisions when it comes to um, HRT. So that's why it's really important to sit down with your GP because you you know you have to take in you know is there a history of stroke or deep vein thrombosis there as well that would have to be looked at but it's also looking at you know what can hrt do for you well it can help you with your symptoms we know estrogen has a protective role to play in relation to your heart health and your bone health the one area that's still under study is in relation to cognitive function. And Dr. Lisa Moscone in New York is doing cutting edge research in that area at the moment, because unfortunately, two out of three dementia and Alzheimer patients are women. So we know there is a link, but that's the work that um, we've yet to see the outcome of Lisa's studies, which I think are about two years away. So I think when it comes to, to hormone replacement therapy, it's really important to understand the choices available and to understand the risks and the benefits that come because it's going to be very different for every single person. One thing when it comes to menopause is that every person's experience is different. So that means every person's treatment options will be different. You know, my my treatment for myself versus my sister are different. So it's really important to bear that in mind, because not only for yourself, if you're going through menopause, but for your partner or for a family member or a work colleague, the experiences will be different because we're all unique, which is a fantastic thing. But it just means you know, our experience, too, are always going to be unique. And I think that's where understanding um, hormone therapy is so important. So you're armed with the knowledge when it comes to having that discussion with your GP. Catherine, something that's just popped into my head, and it, it might seem like a, a bit of a, a naive question here, but I'm assuming that when you move on to HRT, your periods would stop. If that's the case, how would you know if you when you hit menopause? <laughs> that's a great one. You've different regimes of HRT. So you have what's called um, sequential or combined. Sequential regime is you're still having periods. And the combined is when your periods have stopped. So your doctor will decide 
which way for you to go, depending on where you're currently at in relation to are you still having cycles, you know, what symptoms, etc. But that's a big part of the roadmap or the decision tree for HRT is whether you're still having cycles. And then what can happen? So say, particularly in Ireland, um, a lot of women may use the Mirena coil, um, an intrauterine device. And for many women, they won't actually even have a bleed each month. Um, and so they kind of are kind of lost or left in the dark a bit as to, well, where am I? Generally, what happens is your symptoms, if it's the marina coil, your symptoms will start to become more um, obvious as you get closer to menopause. But if you're on HRT, the HRT will be supporting you as you go through. So some doctors would say that at certain intervals that you could maybe take a two to three month break off it and you could basically see, well, actually, does my body still need it or have I come out the other side? Now, you will also should be having regular checks with your GP and as part of that, your blood test should be taken. And again, you know, your FSH level would indicate that you've hit menopause or, you know, if it hasn't yet happened. So when you're on HRT, it's really important to make sure you're having at a minimum, at a minimum, it has to be an annual check in with the GP, if not more. And as part of that, you would be having a discussion in terms of what's happening. Here's what I see in the bloods. How are the bloods looking, etc., etc. Great, helpful, thank you. I'd also like to ask your opinion of these new boutique practices that are gaining a lot of popularity that focus on bioidentical hormone therapy, where, you know, yeah. many traditional hormone <laughs> substitutes used in HRT are created in a lab. Yeah. Bioidentical hormones are derived from plants, right, and natural mm -hmm. sources. So, you know, it's obviously newer and we don't have a lot of research, but what's your opinion? Yeah, um, it, it is newer. And I, I, the big difference is that um, you're not, they're not FDA regulated. So every batch is going to be different and there isn't kind of an over, there's no oversight in relation to the integrity um, of, of, everything that comes off the production line so that is a big part of it uh, the fact that regulation isn't there and they are relatively new so I guess you know more more um, studies need to be done in relation to how they impact and so forth I think the the important point is the fact that um, they aren't regulated with the bioidentical, you're kind of you are going into a compounding um, pharmacy, and you're basically saying, okay, here's how I present. I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'm missing. 10% estradiol, 5% progesterone, and it's made up. It's individualized for you. It's tailored for you, but it doesn't come through the same um, clinical, uh, well, tightly controlled environment as um, the other endorsed forms. And, and that's a very important uh, part because anything that goes through our skin is hugely powerful. And we don't yet know the implications down the line of these products. Right. So, so are there other options um, if you didn't want to go down the, the medical, the, the, the HRT route? Mm -hmm. There are. And there's... 
so many options. And I, I would find that, you know, majority of women that I work with, they're they're doing a bit of everything. Um, and when you look at it, one of the the, the most successful therapeutic uh, therapies that you can look at is cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT and CBT is hugely beneficial in relation to night sweats, hot flushes, anxiety, and insomnia. There's a particular form of CBT called CBTI, which is just concentrating on insomnia. But that's really beneficial for those symptoms, but also for the mental and emotional aspects of um, the perimenopause years. And what I love about CBT is it's really practical. So you could literally hop onto Amazon or you could go down to a bookshop. You could get a book on it today, read a chapter, and you could start practicing it yourself and just changing. It's a bit like rewiring the, 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 the messages in your brain and just, again, moving towards that more positive mindset that, your body's not out of control. You can bring it back into control and understanding the triggers. Acupuncture, a form of traditional Chinese medicine, is hugely beneficial for many of the symptoms of menopause. Um, and then, you know, reflexology, massage, again, will have great additions at any stage of um, of the, the journey because, you know, if you're experiencing aches and pains, which are hugely common, um, you know, massage will definitely help. Reflexology is very good to eliminate toxins from the body and just keep energy flowing. So when it comes to the therapies, I always kind of say, it's looking at maybe um, complementary therapies you've used yourself before that you've enjoyed and you've found beneficial. You might like to explore them again. Um, but certainly we know um, acupuncture would be a big one. And then also herbs. There's many different herbs that um, you may hear of, like sage, maca, black cohosh, etc. One of the things, you know, I would say in relation to, to working with herbs is, you know, some of them, particularly black cohosh, can be very, very potent. It's really good practice to maybe to work with a registered herbalist who can who can work with you on it because they're potent. And I think sometimes we maybe don't realize um, how potent they are. But but certainly there's there's many um, good herbs out there. Sage and maca would be two very, very common ones. It's really just finding your niche. It's finding your personal toolbox, your toolkit that really supports you in these years. And whatever that is, it's coming with the underpinnings of sleep, of food, of managing stress, of exercising and of looking after yourself. You know, it, it's, it's bringing it all together. Wonderful. Catherine, I got to say, I was a little nervous when we started talking about all the symptoms, but you've given us many options <laughs> to uh, to uh, help us out with these. So I know that you do have a menopause success summit that you hold every year. Can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that? Is that something that we can join online if we're interested. Yes, uh, it is. Yeah, we. Um, so it's the Menopause Success Summit, and it's a it's a hybrid event. So um, it has virtual um, access as well. And what that does is it's really about bringing together um, experts from around the world to just really 
talk about menopause and and ideally it's to I really like to try and talk about the symptoms that maybe we're not talking about enough and practical it's all about giving practical advice in relation to how you can support yourself not to survive okay not to survive but to thrive through these years and that's the key we've only got one life and I am you know, to me, it's so important that whatever it takes, whether it's acupuncture, HRT, whatever it takes, we've got to enjoy our lives. And that's just so, so important to me. (laughs) I love that. Now, I know that people are listening, they may want to know more and you do have your website www.wellnesswarrior.ie. And it contains many links and helpful articles and interviews. But in fact, You've created a link just for HPE listeners, right? Can you tell us more about that link? Yeah, so this is um, a very good friend of mine, Diane Danzabrink, who does great work um, in relation to the psychological aspects of menopause. And um, I have an interview with her um, that I'm going to give you the link, which is for your listeners. And it's wellnesswarrior.ie slash straight talk. And if you um, if you follow that link, you can sign up and you'll get the uh, interview sent to your mailbox. And it's a fantastic one because Diane really talks about the psychological um, aspects and just the importance of being aware and how you can support yourself um, through kind of, you know, what can be the choppy waters of menopause. So it's one I really encourage everyone to listen to. Holly and Kim, great job. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and, and Catherine, just as we wrap up, I'm just going to ask uh, really one question from the male perspective. How can we best support a partner, a friend, a loved mm. one who is going through menopause? Mm. Oh, I love that question. <laughs> thank you. you. Understanding the symptoms of menopause is the starting point because now it means that if you think it's partner, friend or whoever, you will you will automatically have more empathy. You will have more compassion in relation to what's being experienced. There's so much more. There's so much more depth to menopause. And having even a small insight into that, it means that you support somebody differently. But the, the, the first starting point, it's the communication are you okay? What can I do to help? Can I do the dinner tonight? Can I empty the dishwasher? Can I pick up the kids? You know, just little things, small things will make a difference. Or at work, do you want to go for a coffee? You know, obviously after COVID, you know, do you want to even hang out on Zoom? You know, just connecting, having the Knowing for someone to know that you're there, even if it's just for them to rant at you, um, just knowing there's someone with you and beside you is so powerful. So I think, you know, I would say, Bob, if you can start there, um, you know, the understanding and just communicating, you will already change how that that um, how a woman feels supported. So important. Once again, Catherine, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Such helpful information. 
If you've heard our podcast before, you know that HPE's For Real Life initiative is all about helping you learn how to boost your mental well-being and the many resources that HPE makes available to HPE team members and their families. As we mentioned in today's episode, Catherine O'Keefe has created a helpful website at www.wellnesswarrior.ie with a special link for HPE team members that goes to an interview about menopause and anxiety and the emotional aspects of menopause. That link again is www.wellnesswarrior.ie forward slash straight talk. Another great resource, whether you're going through menopause or not, is the very popular meditation and mindfulness app called Headspace. HPE offers free memberships to team members, so it's an easy way to try out mindfulness and meditation and discover the benefits for yourself. You can check out Headspace and the many other different wellness resources available to you online whenever you need them. If you're outside the U.S., you'll find those on HPE's global wellness page. If you're in the U.S., you'll find them on HPE Wellness. And as always, our employee assistance program is an excellent resource available to team members and their families. My thanks once again to Catherine O'Keefe and to my guest hosts for this episode, Holly Greer and Kim Field. And on behalf of all of us, thank you for listening. Until next time, please take care of yourself. Let's talk again soon. <laughs>